Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 224. And it's a bit of a, it feels like a bit of a series this week and last week. Because um, last week's podcast was with Professor Green. Huge a reaction online. I'd kind of, I'd hyped it up quite a bit because we get into some some big topics. And he's just, he's, he's a great dude. So that was last week's episode. And this week's episode is with Example. And and those two boys came up together. They were both on the beats. Um, Professor Green comes up in a lot of of the conversations. It was interesting because I recorded them. I recorded example first. So I put out Professor Green first because I wanted to make sure that when the example one dropped right now, his mixtape was already out. It came out on Friday. You can go and check it out now. You don't have to wait. You can download it immediately. It's bangers and ballads. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. It's everywhere. So I, sw- I switched them around, but it meant that in last week's episode with Pro Green, I didn't talk tons about his career in the early days. We talked a lot about what he's up to now, a lot of the stuff he's been through, a lot of mental health stuff. It was a really great open podcast because I knew that in the example one this week, this episode's great because we kind of go all the way back. Because a lot of people don't realise where how examples started out. I did a track with example years ago. I've known the boy for for ten years or so now. So um, yeah, I think you'll enjoy this one. Before we get into it, I should mention that we're brought to you as ever by Speech Development Records. Um, if you head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com, dot com, you can get all sorts of good merch. When this one's live, we should have just launched our new our new web store. So go and have a look about. If you've been there before, it's worth having a look at a browse. I'm I don't know if I should announce it because I'm not sure. I'm planning. I'm recording this on Friday. You see, on when on Monday, I'm pl- I'm planning to announce a new bit of of signed merch. Um, but I won't mention it now in case there's any hiccups and it doesn't come out. But head over to speechdevelopmentrecords.com and have a look if that new bit of signed our merch is there as said it was great to finally hook up with example it felt like perfect timing because as you'll hear he's just made the huge decision to to set up his own label and take his career in his own hands and yeah it was we, we both i wanted you to get to know the example that i know because you can get a lot of different perceptions i think we talk about the fact he's come across differently at numerous different points in his, his career. I said to him, there's there's points that, you know, he's come across as a bit leery, a bit over the top, but, you know, it's great to discuss all that with him because we talk about his insecurities and, and why things can come across like that. The, the main point I made, I mean, I'm telling you the whole podcast now, but it's interesting. If you're, if you're that loud, leery dude, which example is, again, and we talk about, some of it being insecurities and things like that. But that's loved and adored if you're the underdog. If you're the unsigned artist, if you're on Beats, if you're under Mike Skinner, that's that's adored. If you're then on top and you're having number one after number one, then there can be a backlash on that. But it's interesting, like, we get into all of that. If you enjoy this one, as I said, go back and check out Professor Green last week. Way back in the archive, I've got Mike Skinner. I've got Roots Maneuver. A Ch- Chili Gonzalez a few weeks ago. Um, tons of good people. 
Kate Tempest is a previous guest, and she's coming on again s- s- soon. So yeah, tons of good, good guests. Kate Nash, who we talk about in this, has been on recently. So yeah, check all of them out, and I hope you enjoy it. I'll be back at the end to give you some information. Next week's guest is one of the most exciting guests I've ever had. And I'm not going to tell you who it is because I've not recorded it yet. I'm recording it next week or as I record. So as this, as you hear this, I will have hopefully recorded it yesterday, but I haven't yet. And when it's a big guest that I'm really excited about, I'm always, I don't want to jinx it. So I'm going to out of nowhere drop a massive guest next week. And then, yeah, I've got some amazing ones lined up. Kate Tempest is coming back on, as I said. Uh, Bart Layton and and, and Barry Keoghan were fantastic on in a few weeks. Drew Pearce, who wrote and directed um, Hotel Artemis, which I adored, is on in a few weeks. So, yeah, loads of good stuff to come. Anyway, I'm going to go. This is episode 224 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with example... And we're rolling. How you doing, man? I'm here. I'm joined today by Example. How are you? I'm very well. Sorry, I'm in the room. I'm just um, waiting for my pizza to come. Yeah, yeah. We've kind of you've ordered a Deliveroo and uh, Franco Manca. You know, we'll just if we need to take a break, we'll take a break. If we need to just eat and plug through, I think that's fine as well. Everyone will be all right with that. It's podcast. I so don't feel like you should eat on a podcast. I've never. I've done about six or seven podcasts. This is the jewel in the crown for me now. Excellent. Uh, but um, tick that one off. And uh, I've I've never eaten during it. Do I've people... done I've done uh, because we do our drunk casts every now and then, and we literally will just be going for hours. <laughs> I'm surprised we'll be, you didn't get me to do we'll that. We'll be actually. eating, we'll be drinking, we'll be making all sorts of a mess. So it's always <laughs> it's always good fun. But has it been like it's been a? I should tell people it's been it's been a minute, isn't it? Like we've known yeah. each other for years, but I've not. I had Kate Nash on the other day, and it was a similar thing where I hadn't seen her in similar similar in era. five six years, and I haven't. I've seen you in about that time. Oh, like we bumped into each other at festivals a bit. Yeah, but, but I've, I've known you since what, like two thousand and seven, six, six. I'd say six. Yeah. On the, we were just talking about off off air, off air um, about the 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 scene back then, and yeah, it did man. feel like a scene, and it and it wasn't like genre specific. No, but there were all these hot spots in London, you know, uh, like Shoreditch before it yeah. became just like a branding corporate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gentrification exercise. Shoreditch and Camden, there was a real scene. Yeah. And Archway. Yeah, and yeah, like yeah, all yeah, down, yeah. Uh, was it like the Holloway Road? Yeah. And, I, and it, like I say, it was, could have been spoken word. It could have been an indie band. It could have been UK rap, uh, grime, grindy. Yeah. And there were all these faces that you saw because they're all the, there were, but what, what people miss out on now is you have Lovebox and you have Wireless. Yeah. But and then Hyde Park. But other than that, where's where's the scene? There's no band scene. There's no there's nowhere. There's no pubs and clubs completely. for these acts to I come mean, through. It's it's completely found its way online, I guess. Like yeah, like yeah, the need yeah. for that scene. Maybe I, I still think there is a need, but the the feeling of a, of a lack of yeah, need for that yeah, scene yeah. is because it's all gone online. And that was kind of starting at the time with MySpace and that. That course, yeah, yeah. that was. I would say it I was. I think you were in my was, top, top eight, top yeah, twenty, or whatever. Yeah. It was. <laughs> That's it. It's, I would say there was 
Shoreditch, Camden, Archway, and MySpace as yeah. as as the places that because that's it. People did kind of interact and lock in yeah, on there. Yeah. So it was a it was a and mad there was one weird at that collaborations time. and it was like and when you were putting together like your your gig or your launch party or your your tour yeah tour because my Aussie misses influence yeah. tour you um you didn't really care about the genre. It was no. just like you brought your mates along. Yeah, completely. And, um, and people, I actually remember looking, at a, I found a, a poster the other day for a gig I played at Hoxton Bar and Kitchen. Yeah. And the lineup was Metronomy. Yeah. Headlining. Foles. Yeah. Me. And Laura Dockle. It's mad, isn't it? Dockers MC. It's insane, yeah. And, um, just, you just, there was tons of that at the time, and the, the crowd were just like having it, and they didn't care. Yeah, I mean, I went, there was a band from Essex called the Rifles. Yep, yep, yep. And I went on tour with them. Yeah, and I had some nights I had bread rolls thrown at me, and coins, deservedly yeah. so. You know, I was on a, a you know a sort of punk indie tour wearing t-shirts that said "Skinny Jeans Can Fuck Off." Yeah, and um, and the, the manager was like, "You sure Elliot wants? You sure Example wants to come and support the Rifles?" And I was like, "It'd be a fucking laugh, wouldn't yeah. it?" And um, some nights they loved it, some nights they didn't. I mean, one night we played Stoke <laughs> and uh, someone pulled a fire alarm. They yeah. pulled the fire alarm to get me off stage. They hated me Damn. so much. That's, and, that's and, then the, and the promoter was like, look, there's only five minutes left. By the time they got everyone back in the venue, um, do you, want to, you don't want to go on five minutes, do you? I went, yeah, I'll go and do one more song. <laughs> and um, that, this was around 2006. I love it. Um, and I just feel like all these acts coming through now, don't get to experience, you know... That mixture. I mean, there's still some legendary venues around the UK. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, oh, they're grime, they have to go with Grimax. They're um, they're playing Afro Bashment, so they can only support other Afro Bashment. There was a big mix, man. I remember in one week, I remember supporting... um, So, Mark Ronson, (laughs) and, like, the same week, supporting Bizzle for his (laughs) album launch, which, considering, again, similarly... Uh, we had a song that was saying how shit y- y- the UK hip hop scene was at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So playing that to Bizzle's crowd was like a, <laughs> you're close to getting <laughs> fucked up. At his album launch as well, it was literally yeah. half and half. Half the crowd were loving it, and half were just sc- yeah, yeah, screw yeah. face, arms crossed. Well, yeah, because you had a lot of people who just obviously wanted the, you know, the the aggy element of it. Yeah, and, but, and then some people. But that like, was it. Listen to what you're saying. It was the mixture <laughs> of you're everything. Just standing there quite still, just. I'm like, standing there like. <laughs> Because that was it at that time. Because me and Dan talked about it before, and I was like, "We got to do fixed." Because it's like we play it to the little fucking indie kids, mm. like supporting Kate Nash the week before, or playing with Saul Williams or whatever. Yeah. So we can't be two faced about it. We got to yeah, play it yeah, yeah, if we yeah. mean it. We got to mean it. So I was like, "Let's just let's take the risk." But but that was the beauty of but the scene at you, that point. You, you, you know, that's where you learnt the ropes and you sort yeah. of um, you learnt what to do and what not to do. And I just think the kids now. And they are kids, you know, 18, 19. Yeah. And the difference is, is they can have one tune as a crossover hit on Spotify. And then their first ever gig is like Brixton Academy sold out. That's, I mean, that's and I, a- I, I quite like the fact by the time I got to Brixton Academy, I'd already done 600 shows and some yeah. of them were playing to four people. And, 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 and that's a great point there because the easiest gigs and not necessarily the gigs that make you good are when you're playing to your audience. Yeah, yeah. The hard gigs are when you're having to win an audience yeah, yeah, over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there will be kids these days. And fair oh, I'm not knocking it's, it's not their fault. Yeah, but I, I've been to, I'm not going to mention names, but I've been to see some of these, you know, this new generation of grime and yeah. rap acts and so on. And they've got no stagecraft. Yeah. And I almost feel for them. And the crowd... Because they've come is, straight into, as yeah. soon as you walk on stage, and you've you're got getting to four, five thousand people. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, okay, you've never been 
you've never been booed. Yeah. You've never um, had stuff thrown at you. You've never had a fire alarm. You've never had a fire alarm. <laughs> you've never done a hundred gigs supporting somewhere else to perform to other people's fans. Yeah. You, you don't know what to do if the mic uh, breaks. You don't know what to do if um, you know there's an some there's a fight in the crowd. There's a, all yeah. these things you see touring over the years. Completely. You know, a pint thrown at you, and it was it was the you surpri- slip over on stage. And yeah. how do you style it style out? It what out. do you say between songs? Is another thing. You know. <laughs> The surprising benefit I had of coming up in the spoken word scene was if the, if there was any sound issues, it made the show b- better because yeah. I could jump in the crowd and do a spoken word piece yeah, screaming yeah, yeah, and people yeah. would be going nuts. It's like, whereas a lot of kids th- these days will be like, oh, we're just going to we'll have to yeah, wait yeah, yeah. until it's fixed and that yeah, coming. Yeah. Um, but you'd kind of, when I found, or, or when that scene was happening, you'd kind of come up a year, like only a year or so before that, I felt, on kind of, I remember well, the first thing that got played. You've been about um, in the battle rap scenes and things like yeah, that, yeah. And, and, and all that. So, how was that? Like, how did you find yourself? How did how did Elliot from Fulham yeah. go? Right, I'm I'm going to start start off as a rapper and start start a rapping and MCing. I didn't even know to be honest what I wanted to do. I, I only rapped in school yeah. to sort of like as protection because yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, like the, everything was. I went to school not far from where we are now. We're in South London now in Wandsworth, and it was like you know. It was, it's a typical London conferential. It was a mix of everyone, you know, from estates. You know, there'd be a, some really rich kids who lived in a mansion in Roehampton to kids who come from like gutter estates in yeah, Battersea, yeah, yeah. Clapham, and Brixton. It was a real nice mix. But the dominant music culture was black music, um, you know, and hip hop, R and B. There wasn't really much of a UK scene then, so it was, everyone was trying to emulate that. I was always good with words and rhyming. And I found it really easy to like remember a whole Wu Tang Clan song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, I yeah. realised because I was shit at football, I was shit at basketball, <laughs> shit at rugby. That's what you've got. Um, it was like when you're 11, 12 years old, and you know the other cool kids are considerably bigger, more well developed than you. They're already starting off with girls, and I was like years late to that. Um, so rapping was my only thing. Yeah. And originally it was other people's lyrics. Yeah. But I never saw it as a career because we didn't have anyone to look, look up to them. We didn't have a, a Mike Skinner. We didn't have a D- Dizzy Rascal. So it was like rapping in a British accent wasn't even a thing. And no. then it was like the, the whole rule book was rewritten, I think, with the streets for me. Um, yeah, I agree. And then I came back from a year in Australia and I wasn't um, doing like a gap year. I was just sort of uh, working. I was working making props on film sets and stuff. Dope. Um, and I, was, I met this girl and her, hooked up with her, and her brother was actually in a big band in Oz. Yeah. He let me use his recording studio. I came back to the UK in 2004 with a load of demos. Amazing. Got a job back in TV. Uh, I was in bits of editing, promos, voiceovers, you know, working in tape libraries. And then just started, I put a song out on vinyl, I pressed a thousand copies and we sold 10. The next single, So Many Roads, which sampled the Carpenters, yeah. the original seven-inch release. I, I thought, right, I'm going to only press 500 vinyls of this. Yeah. We sold them out. We had to do, like, repressings. Amazing. And then someone handed a, a record to Zane Lowe, I Don't Want To, which was a song I sampled, Muddy Waters. Right. I yeah, don't yeah. want to be true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah. We, we chopped it up. So instead of saying, I just want to make love to you, it was, I don't want to make love to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was sort of like my calling card, this sort of cheeky lad rap talking about awkward relationships. Yeah, completely. Um, and... Yes, Zane Lowe played it. Pete Tong played it back when Pete Tong used to actually play hit, like two or three hip hop tracks yeah. every Friday. And the difference that those guys could make at that yeah, yeah. point was, was so. I was, was I was just working in TV, thinking yeah. I want to be a director, I want to be a screenwriter, I want to be an actor. Yeah, and had 
no idea about really performing. I'd done garage raves and I'd done like a few rap battles. Yeah. But I was like, I had no idea what what I was doing. I just made it up as I went along. Yeah. And um, and then like this guy approached me and he was like, do you want me to be a radio plug? I was like, what radio plug? He was like, mate, you've just been played by Pete Tong and Zane Lowe two weeks in a row. Yeah. And then I had it's all these deal. deals. All of a sudden it was like, I needed a manager and all this shit. And yeah. my manager actually, he's a old Essex lad. He's about 65 now. Yeah. He uh, signed the publishing for The Streets and uh, Plan B. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah Metronomy, yeah, yeah. Frank Turner. Yeah. So, and he's, he's only ever managed me yeah. and been my publisher. And he, I didn't realize at the time how important he was and instrumental he was, but he kind of just let me be me. Yeah. He, and when I came and first met him, he was like, I'd never signed you for your rapping. And I hadn't even heard you sing by then. He was like, there's just this kid there who spoke a bit street, but he was from Fulham and like had long mop hair back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, like, I just thought you was a star. I just didn't know what type of music you should be doing. I just thought this kid needs to be on stage. Yeah. And that's kind of like, you know, start the journey, but it kind of explains where I'm at now. It's like, it's not about the rapping. It's not about the singing. It's just like, it's <laughs> just being me. You know what and, I mean? Having fun with music. And that's, that's the key. The, the exciting thing, and we'll get onto it, is that the music that you're you're making now and you're about to to start putting out isn't stuff that you could have made back then it isn't stuff that you could have made during your 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 ministry era and all that yeah, kind of thing yeah. it's like it's 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 the combination of all of it yeah yeah to uh, to get there so so how was it kind of coming up in the scene and so, or suddenly out of nowhere having airplay and with that expectation like how was that for well, you. Did that no make you start going? What am I meant to be aiming for? Yeah, well, I just thought. Well, as a couple of gig offers were coming in, you know, so yeah. it was like, oh, you can get paid three hundred quid to go and like perform four, four or five songs, yeah, at a pub, and I was like, what? Sweet, uh, that's a ridiculous amount of money. Yeah, yeah, so my yeah. mum and dad had moved to Australia. Right. My dad decided he's like he'd been working every day of his life, and he's like, I don't want to work anymore. He'd never be able to retire in the UK, but sold his house at the right time, moved out, and he moved to Australia. It was like three dollars to the pound. Yeah. So he's out there and I'm thinking about going to join them in Australia again. Yeah. And I end up staying in the UK and I'm living with my step granddad in this really old fashioned house. So I've sort of had some hunger and drive there. I needed, you know, cause everyone needs something to make you. To push them on. To push them on. Yeah, and I was, it was partly trying to prove to my parents that I could make music work for me. Yeah. And they're on the other side of the world. My sister had moved to Sydney. They were living like on the Gold Coast. So I was like by myself, like for the first time in my life. And yeah. even though I had a roof over my head, you know, I was like, what am I going to do? You know, fuck, I've got to set up a bank account and, you know, <laughs> yeah, I've, got yeah, to, yeah. I've got to pay uh, house, house insurance. How'd you do that? It was like becoming independent and like, yeah. and even when I was 22, yeah. I'd been working since I was a kid, you know, like since I had a job when I was 15, but it was like, fuck, oh, I've, I've actually got to start living now. I've yeah. got to be a grown up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I honestly, if my parents had stayed in the country, I wouldn't be, even be here talking to you because yeah. I'd probably, I don't think I'd still be living at home. But you sort of expect things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have that kind yeah. of. That so then, the so then, music was like I was more determined to make music work because my dad was like, my mum and dad aren't really creative people. Yeah. they love their arts, but they're not singers. They're not like creative like that. And they were just like my dad was like, "You're so good at maths. You know, you took your GCSEs early. Yeah, got A's and A stars. Like, go and work in the bank." You know, I'd, I'd done yeah, some work yeah, experience. Yeah. I mean, offered a job in a bank, like a Chase Manhattan JP Morgan. I got offered a job when I was 16. It's a proper job, right? And I was like, fuck that. Um, I've got to make music work. And I didn't have a fucking clue what to do. I didn't know how to do... I knew a lot about TV and filmmaking, so the music videos was cool. But I was like, pressing vinyls and 
what's a plugger and you know, marketing and all this sort of shit. Yeah. Um, and how do you get in a magazine? How do you get someone to review you in a magazine? So I was literally just going in and out of record shops, meeting yeah. people, deal real records. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, what, who is this? Can you introduce me to someone like that? I was driving around the country in my mum's old Vauxhall Corsa dropping off vinyls. Yeah. Um, you know, you see, I, love return, that. I like, love that. Not knowing how to do it, but just going out and finding out. Now you can just than... stick your song on SoundCloud or Spotify. I know yeah. there's other parts of the process. You know, yeah. you've got to have a brand and you, your social media, Instagram, you've got to have a profile. Yeah, and all that. yeah, yeah. But back then, the, and we were in a period like 2005, 6, 7, so much changed, you know, because you've got obviously MySpace revolution, yeah. YouTube. Yeah, and yeah, all of yeah. a sudden it's like, okay, it went so quickly from vinyls to, oh, no, we don't need vinyls anymore. So now we don't need CDs anymore. So we need MP3s. Yeah. And like, it's almost like what happened over 40, 50 years in the music industry to get from like vinyls to cassettes to CDs. Yeah. That happened in what, like 30, 40 years. And then mm. we had this something that happened in like four or five years. Yeah. All in this no revolution. It's like, and it's just as you get into MySpace and you've got all these fans on MySpace, it's like, no, MySpace is dead now. Yeah. Fuck, what's this thing? Um, now you need to get on SoundCloud. Oh no, that's dead. And it's like iTunes. Oh no, that's dead now. It's Spotify. And and <laughs> and, and MySpace is at the at the forefront of that because that's where a lot of people who hadn't been able to press CDs or press vinyl, yeah, yeah. that's the only place their music could be available. Yeah. I mean, so it, was like kind J- of, it, was, it was on there. It was on their little MySpace player. You yeah, can go JME revolutionised it, didn't yeah. he? Do you remember he like he found out uh, uh, Jeremy? Uh, if anyone doesn't know the Grime MC, yeah, uh, but he's an amazing entrepreneur. But he sort of hacked all the MySpace codes, right? You know, in terms of like his whole that. page, it turned it into his website, and he had more songs yeah, than yeah, everyone yeah, else. Yeah, and yeah. He had all his own little like um, graphics, and yeah, it was it's incredible. And I remember he was like the benchmark at that time. He really yeah. used that to its max. And now people are doing the same thing with Instagram. It's like getting likes, you yeah. know, rather than actual plays or people engaging with your songs. It's just like all for the likes and the yeah, comments man. and. Um, I just still can't keep up with it. And it's that's, fascinating. It's fascinating how And that's it's why all I think I, you just, I just have to be me and do me and just do what comes naturally. So I never got on Snapchat because yeah. I thought I don't want to snap all day long about my life. Yeah. And there was pressure at the time to, you know, you've got to get on this new platform and do this. But yeah, so anyway, long story short, 2007, signed to Mike Skinner's label. Yeah. And so how was that? Because Mike, as said, was the, the benchmark at that point and it, yeah. it, it revolutionized things and made it. They changed everything. He had content. He also had bangers. Yeah, yeah. He had everything in there. So, and he was just so how himself. was that to sign? Well, I, I so I had three offers. I had two major labels, and I had Mike Skinner, The Beats, which was part of Warner, mm-hmm. and and they just put out the Mitchell Brothers album, and they just signed Professor Green as well. Yeah, um, and I was like, I just adored Mike, and I just thought, even if I could kind of sense they didn't really know what they were doing at the label, but I quite yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, could yeah, relate yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah. Um, they ran it out of a shed in... I still can't believe the pizza's not here, man. Unbelievable. Oh, your order's out for delivery. Thank God. Um, if anyone's worried <laughs> about my food. Um, and I just thought, they're running out of a shed in Kew. Yeah. And it was an old Jeffrey Kemp insurance. It's like... Amazing. <laughs> those two, they referenced it on a few old Streets mixtapes. And it was literally a shed. And there was a, a toilet. Um, and it had on the door, no shitting, just spitting. I love it. Um, with a microphone in there. And you could have a piss, but literally I had to go around to the cafe around the corner if you needed to take a shit. It was yeah. that kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, yeah. it was amazing because I'd get the, tra- uh, the train down once or twice a week and you never knew who would be there. So some days, like Skinner was doing a, a remix of one of his street songs and yeah. you'd have like Getz or 
Ghetto, Skepta, um, Kano, Jeremy, Tinchy Strider, all these yeah. people would be down there and all their crew. And it was like proper moody back then. It's yeah, not like, yeah, yeah. like grime MCs now smile. They're allowed to like, you know, say sweet things and buy their money. At that point, stuff. it was rough and that was, was dope as well. Because well, that's that was reflecting their life and it was all very, th- there was never no fun and games and laughter. I think Mike get, should get more credit for 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 putting a lot of that over as well yeah, because totally. those early streets remixes which yeah. he was he was barely on at all yeah, it was yeah. just it's the he first time i heard scene, I a lot of the grime artists and it was like oh wow and it was aggressive and angry it wasn't the friendly mike skinner yeah, this yeah. is a street song it was like yeah like yeah get exactly. to get her in particular just fucking and what's amazing now is it like someone like Stormzy still has that aggression yeah in the songs but then you can go on breakfast television yeah. and be the sweetest guy in everyone's yeah, mind yeah, like, i yeah, love that yeah. Stormzy guy and I don't think people know how to do that then. It's such a, um, yeah. And it's sort of like, it's, so anyway, getting off topic. Yeah. So you'd be going down to the studio and it'd be like, I'd be arriving to lay down a third verse on something and then Pro Green would be in there finishing off something for his new yeah. mixtape. I went down there once and Pete Doherty was in there recording his Pranging Out remix, the street Brilliant. song Pranging Out. Yeah. And he was just sat there, you know, there's a smell of burning rubber or plastic. Yeah. Because I'm... You know, this isn't newsflash. He's a he's a bit of a drug addict. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was the first time. It was like, fuck, it's that guy from the, the newspapers is in the yeah. studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Skinner will come down occasionally, and it was just an amazing era of like for about a year, just uh, this tiny little space where there was like stacks of Pro Greens mixtapes. There was Mitchell Brothers T-shirts. Yeah. There was uh, like posters. There was like some gold discs which had been smashed that. Some have forgotten about. There was one little sofa. Sometimes the engineer would be asleep in there overnight. There were, on the floor, there were scraps of weed and like like half a pill and like little dust of cocaine. And there's fucking, uh, you know, the, a kettle over there, which is like melted because it was caught on fire. And someone was, yeah, yeah, yeah. All in the space of where we're sat, similar yeah. to where we're sat now, like two meters by four meters. Yeah. And I just remember, and at the time, I just thought, this is fucking exciting. This is the music industry, isn't it? Like, I, I thought maybe this is how they ran. It reminded me of like Factory Records or something like yeah. that. You know what I mean? 24 and it made it exciting people. But, but because again, it felt like real people could be making real music without having to plug into a big machine. It was a, I know it was part of Warner, it was a but Mac again, it was and the, a mic and that was doing it. it. Yeah. And a little, a little desk, like the desk <laughs> in the studio was like, you know what you do your exams on yeah. <laughs> when yeah, you're 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that I mean, I was chatting. To, I still see Stephen Pro Green the other week. Yeah. I still see him like quite often. We're good mates. He's coming on the podcast soon we, as well. I've got him on. Oh, he's incredible! Like yeah. his brain's amazing. And we were just reminiscing about this stuff. And at the time, we didn't realize how important this stuff was to shaping yeah. us. Because once you've been and done that, you can do anything. Which yeah. is why I've never had a studio. And then I set up this studio where we are now about two years ago. And I wanted something that reflected that. I wanted yeah, something yeah, really yeah. humble. I don't want any uh, gold plat- platinum plaques on the wall. I don't want yeah. any pictures. I don't care if it smells a bit damp. Yeah. Because Just I want to recreate that desperation. Yeah. Right? And, you know, over the last year, I've had so many people through it, loads of MCs and rappers. And sometimes it's just to, you know, excite me about yeah. my job. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, they all say the space, you know, is amazing. Then yeah. you go to the big plush ones oh. where there's a studio assistant and the engineer's got an assistant yeah. and the... There's no vibe. I can't write in rooms like that. I completely agree. And so so that was a great time because it was really, as you, you, you said, it was allowing you to make music. Is it here? Is it here? Go. Go get it. I'll pause. I'll pause. Sorry. It's all good. In fact, I'm not even going to pause. I'm going to talk you around the room. We've got kind of 
fairy lights up at the moment. It's a nice, it's a nice chilled vibe. There's a nice, there's a, a mic stand in the corner with a good kind of shield, dead in shield around it. So it isn't it? You don't even have to have a mic booth, really. Um, we've got the desk, which is a nice little desk with a Mac on there, some good speakers, we've got some keys, we've got a little guitar in the corner. I'll pause now and let Buddy edit this part out. Nice. Is that what the doctor wanted? Not only have I made you drive over the whole fucking length of London, I've made you wait because I get pizza. It's fine. I always, I, I, I celebrate a pizza moment. That's some good pizza right there. And red wine as well, mate. Uh, Are we recording? Uh, Franco so? Manca only, I'm, I've left it rolling, yeah, why not? <laughs> Let's make if, it if real. I get too slurpy on the... Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll soundtrack it now. He's, uh, example, he's pouring a nice gl- glass of red wine into a plastic cup, um, as should be. I'm just going to take one bite. And tearing right? off a slice. No, you go in, Super son. You go in and enjoy. Oh, my God. And Franco Manca, right? It's, 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 it's the best in town. Sourdough pizza, mate. Neapolitan style. The oven has to be, I think, 500 degrees. Yeah. I've got a pizza oven in my back garden. And the, really? the most I've been able to get it up to is about three and a half, four hundred degrees. Is that a wood-fired one? Yeah, a wood-fired one. I sling all the wood in the back. I did it recently and I realised the problem I'd had was you need to fire it up for for three to four hours. It's no kind of just sling some logs in there. Oh, it's started to get hot because <laughs> this is fascinating information. But at that point, you're getting the heat off the flames rather yeah. than heating up the bricks that built this whole thing okay. and the plaster and everything. And that's where you want... Though? Yeah, 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 yeah. I do as well. I mean, I've got... Um, I've, I haven't got a garden, so I live in an apartment. Yeah. You know, but my oven, yeah. my gagger now... Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not sponsored by them or anything. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, is, uh, it goes up to 350. It's dope. Which is amazing for... Because uh, the pizzas need to just be quick in and out, don't they? Yeah. That's Completely, it should be a few minutes, and the and the dough again, like this, it's dope that Franco Manca and people like that have got big because it's meant to be a, about the dough. In the West, we kind of made pizza about the toppings. Mm. It's meant to be about the dough. You're meant to be able to have minimal toppings mm. and just some well-made dough, rather than. But in in this country, it's a hundred percent. It's the toppings you've got on it. Well, there's a time it's all and a this. place for Domino's. Completely, completely. Um, you know, you come back from the pub. I think if someone goes, once you get Franco Manco or Domino's, Domino's is that better. Yeah, in, in I a way, feel it's you. not really pizza. It's like, yeah. uh, it's its own thing, isn't it? It completely is. I, I definitely, I'll, I'll be excited. I could have had Domino's three nights in a row and I'll be in London. I'll be like, oh, it'd be, be good to have some pizza. <laughs> because I've not been thinking I've had pizza three nights in a row. I'm thinking, oh, it'd be good to go Franco Manco or, or one of the other gr- great the same ones. It's thing, isn't it? It just yeah. serves a purpose. It's not even, I don't even feel like I'm eating. Yeah. Yeah, Domino's, you know what I mean. It's just a means to an and, end. And Pizza Hut and Papa John's as well. They're all in that same basket of, of their. Or again, it's the Americanized pizza, isn't it? Mm. Papa John can pretend to be as Italian as he wants. He's serving American pizza. He ain't. He ain't anyone's Papa. John, Papa. John. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that with a, no, I haven't seen that. If you get Papa John spots, yeah, and you draw a set of glasses on Papa John, amazing. It turns into um, Elton John. I love it. That's Try perfect. It. I'm it's like one it. of those, um, you know, like someone's like, 
You, know, you, you get out a five pound note and someone folds yeah, it and goes, yeah, yeah, did yeah. you know this? And they show you and you go, yeah. fucking hell. I can't wait. Let's get gonna... a Papa John's box and draw little specks on it. Yeah. It says in Torton John. I'm doing it. I'm doing it next time I get one. Do you want a red wine, by the way? No, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm do on drink, the water. Do I do drink. I only drink. I drink a handful of times a year. I'm honestly, I'm not a big, just a, a social a drinker anymore. I used to be and I just went off it. So I drink on the drunk cast. I drink at my club night. But they're kind of the only places I generally, okay. I generally fancy a drink. Like, it's weird. I, it's like anything. I, I guess anything you get out of the habit of, you stop craving. So there's numerous times, particularly in the in the heat we've had recently, mm. that well, a few years back I'd be craving a cider or a beer or mm. whatever. It just doesn't happen. I find that in London, yeah, I because I live between Australia and here. I do yeah. like my wife's Australian, um, and we've got two little boys, and we do like four months in Oz. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the time I'll be here, and pretty much I'll probably be based there, yes, yeah. to raise the kids, yeah. And because that was it when we, because we've been lining this podcast up for ages, and it's mm. always like, well, I was, I I'm sure you live in, about. I'm sure you live in Australia, so I was like, it depends when you're over or when. And this was again, it's perfect timing as we'll as yeah. we'll get into all of it. But yeah, so, um, so you split between the two, yeah, split between the two. And um, when I'm in Oz, I, the main reason I loved it, loved being there, and I can't wait to move there is because I'm so much healthier. Yeah. Like, just training every day. We've yeah. got both sets of our parents around to help out with the kids. Yeah. And um, we, uh, you know, might have a glass of red wine with dinner. Yeah. But there's no, there's nothing to tempt you. Yeah. Like, especially in Brisbane. It's, like, such a sleepy place. I mean, it's an amazing functional city. But in terms of, like, that creative buzz that I get in London, yeah. London's amazing for writing well, those songs. Distractions but, as well. But yeah. for my health yeah. and longevity, well, you went from, I, I want Australia because you, I just become an addict when I'm back over here. You, you went from I mean? that skinny dance rap kid to like proper, you beefed up, you got in, in fantastic sh- a, yeah. a, a shape. And it's like, it's, it's a lifestyle change, isn't it? It's because if you go somewhere that encourages that kind of lifestyle yeah, change, yeah, like yeah. I'm far better at being healthy, exercising constantly uh, when I'm at home. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I've got I can just control what food I've got in all that kind of thing. Whereas yeah, yeah. if I'm on the road or I'm in London a lot, it's like oh, I'm just going to grab a burger here or do this or do that, or I'm not going to have time to exercise. London's just one of those places that just feeds whatever your um, your addiction is, and I'm you know I'm talking whether it's smoking or coffee or yeah, burgers, anything. fast food, drugs, whatever. It's like London just a place like London feeds that because it's 100%. so manic. Yeah. All the time. And I've, I'm lucky. I live right on the river and I've got the top floor and I get to look over London. But because I'm on the river, I feel free of that. Yeah. So I feel relaxed, almost like I live in the countryside because I'm yeah, up yeah, away yeah, from everything. Yeah, but yeah, I can, yeah. I'm still close enough by it. But There are those spots I'm, in but, London, aren't there? They yeah. can give you that. It feels like it's not. Yeah, which is what London, I need because I was either move out of London or, you know, stay stay put, but yeah. find the right view where yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. free and it, it's go. But as soon as I step onto the street level, yeah, um, it's just the, the stress, and you really notice it when you've been in when I've been in Brisbane. Yeah, you know we can drive from our place to the centre of town in like ten minutes. There's no traffic. Everyone's yeah, yeah, happy yeah. all the time. The weather's amazing. Your strangers are smiling and chatting <laughs> to you. <laughs> yeah, um, you can always find a parking space. Yeah, um, you know there's always a seat on the bus, and uh, it's it's just it's like even though there's not the exciting creatives um there's not the say, melting pot so london you know i wouldn't be who i was without london you know the multiculturalism and yeah the 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 genre mashup which is yeah. my music and i suppose my life you know 
you don't. I miss that in Oz. Yeah, but completely. I can see how happy my kids are, and I I can see how healthy I am. I get so much sleep. It's and, a weird one, isn't it? Because that's a heavenly idyllic a, a, a way to live, but it's yeah. it's not going to make that many great albums. No, or that many great great bits. Like it's it's why we've well, like, this, is, this sounds like Australia a bias, I but I can't think of tons of huge Australian acts or, or Australian acts I'm into. And there have been, obviously there have been some, but yeah, yeah. it's not like you're awash with it. Cause it is, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's so much to just r- r- relax and enjoy, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. And it is, I do th- two, three months over there and I'm like, Oh my God, this is the life. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you go on social media, which I shouldn't do. And yeah. then you see like gig footage like of like fabric yeah. and your favorite drum and bass DJ. Yeah. yeah and yeah. there's a mosh pit. Yeah. Oh, fuck, I need to get back to London. So, and then like, I do six months in London and I'm completely worn out and I haven't been training as much as I like. Yeah. And especially with two kids, you get five hours sleep some nights. Yeah, right? You're like, I want to be back in Australia where we've got free babysitters. And then you crave that and I go over there. And that just basically sums me up is it's just sort of like, you know, I'm all or nothing. It's great to have the combination everything. of the two, right? Yeah, just yeah. To, to be able to switch between them and dart, yeah, yeah, yeah. dart back and forth. Exactly. So, so let's... Uh, a rewind. I just want to f- finish off a little bit of the of the Skinner era because okay, yeah. it did feel as if that was a point where the first introduction a lot of people had to example was allowing you to get a full character across. And when he yeah, was yeah. doing the Beat Stevie stuff and stuff like that yeah, as so well. It was just us backstage. I mean, there's a video of me backstage at Reading. Yeah. Where, because I, I, I still have a big fear of crowds, not yeah. performing to them, but being in them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, I got into um, like class A's like really quite late. I was like 24. Yeah. And so when I was at school, everyone else was doing drugs and I was just like, I was so anti it, didn't yeah, get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then how do you go buy in the music industry without either being an alcoholic or smoking loads of weed or doing yeah, loads of gear or something? And but I, th- I think when I signed for the Beats in Mike and Professor Green as well, I found like a sort of kindred spirit and this sort of like freedom to not only... Uh, I didn't actually know who I was yeah. as example or Elliot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was this freedom to explore and I just went a bit crazy and I think that's what was great about Beats TV is it just sort of caught, uh, it captured me and Stephen, me and Pro in a a really quite, um, we were like almost like quite fragile and young and innocent and impressionable. Yeah. And didn't really care about money and fame. Yeah. And didn't really care about having a hit. We just couldn't believe someone like Mike wanted to take us on the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and like sort of give us his stamp of approval and obviously attention from the opposite sex and, you know, free booze and yeah, free yeah, gig yeah. tickets and meeting loads of, you know, celebs. So it was just like this big whirlwind. So because we were just caught up in that, you went to the studio and you weren't overthinking what you were doing. You were like, this rhymes with this and I want to... St- yeah. you know tell this story and yeah, that yeah, beat's yeah. quite banging and you just end up with these you know steven's first album or his mixtape lectures number one and my first album what we made and i did a mixtape of covers as well refixes called we we didn't invent the remix so i yeah. had like my britney spears toxic cover and yeah, lily yeah, allen's yeah, yeah, vial yeah, yeah. cover of smile which chris moyles played on the breakfast show like you know three weeks in a row um it was just sort of like f- f- like the the definition of like free spirited and like making it up as you're going along yeah and then i still carried that through so the beats was dropped by warner in 2008 just after my album came out yeah and i was thinking about going back working to tv again because i was like 
what were you thinking? Thinking you could be a rapper, you know, be a well, Did you do a bit of comedy at that point? So I, did some, I, I was doing stand up. That's well. what I remember you doing I a bit of stand up like, around there. I did 10 gigs um, here and there. I played the, the, the biggest one was like um, for a TV show. Did you go for, with Jupiter's at some point. I'm sure Jupiter's yeah, so there was did some a, shows before. The Culture Show. Do you remember the Culture Show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Culture yeah, Show yeah. was amazing. Great and show. the producer of that said, wouldn't wouldn't it be great if you, you know, a rapper tried stand up? A bit like that faking it show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, it was one of the things that really, really scared me. But whenever I get scared by something, it makes me want to do it more. Yeah, of and uh, Richard Heron was my mentor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I ended up on this lineup, on this billing, and with Harry Hill, Phil Jupiter's, uh, Richard Heron, and me. And he was like, "Look, just just go up and do two or three minutes." Yeah. He says, "If you can do two or three minutes, it'd be amazing. If you get a few laughs." And I ended up doing like eight or nine minutes which is an eternity yeah, in stand-up yeah, yeah. there's no backing 100%, 100%, track you know there's yeah. no band behind you no completely and it's on youtube actually i think it's an example oh, really? does stand up yeah. and it was 500 people at the lyric theater in hammersmith and that's madness and you know i headlined the other stage at glastonbury and we had about forty thousand people and we were up against the rolling stones yeah and if i think about what was the most thrilling experience i've ever had on stage yeah. you know i sold out i was caught yeah just before they knocked it down twenty two thousand tickets yeah I st- people don't believe me right? but you'll know this I've been on stage and especially with the spoken word thing yeah the buzz you get from Mate. just holding a room with just your voice it's amazing it's amazing and whether it's giggles or you know clapping or laughter or they're dancing or they're just listening just having that I completely agree the the, the clearest memories of, for me are those those spoke like I did if I could be a stand up yeah. or be example I'd be a stand up yeah. it's S- the best buzz in the world the same year I did I headlined spoken word stage at latitude and it was about a thousand people and the buzz of just holding those at a festival as well holding yeah, them yeah. in silence it uh, was amazing the year before my favorite non-spoken word gig with dan lasak at best of all on the main stage and we had t- 20 to thirty thousand. amazing but or, or doing an easier example doing a wembley supporting a, a frank turner and he had yeah, yeah. his whole crowd there I didn't enjoy the gig that much because I didn't feel as attached or intimate. Exactly. It felt just too big. The it was an amazing, I'm still glad it happened. I'm so gr- grateful to have had the opportunity. Yeah, but yeah. if I think of what was the most amazing experience, it was that spoken word gig just there with just me and a mic and doing an hour at a festival, yeah, yeah, just yeah. me and a mic oh, and mate. going, shit, they're, I'm in they're, awe of that, they're on board. I We've think it is them. of all the, I've, you know, I've tried a bit of acting because it's yeah. one of those like, you, you, I grow, I'm the biggest cinephile ever. I just grow yeah. up. I've grown up loving films. I studied film at university. Yeah, I wrote my dissertation on the Terminator movies. It was called uh, "From uh, From Killing Machine to Parental Cyborg: Amazing. The Changes in Masculinity Between Eighties and Nineties Action Heroes." That's, and I got like perfect. a first for like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. I was my, I was obsessed with films. I only went to university because I've, I've heard the, there was a film course. Yeah. University weren't for me. It was like. We're all Holloway Unis. I was 70% female. Tick. Um, <laughs> I've got a gym. Tick. Uh, you can stay on campus and there's like three bars nearby. Yeah. Tick. And uh, you can just watch films. And, and discuss films in a room with people. The and dream, then right? use their editing suite and their camera facilities. So, yeah. yeah, just using that as a basis. And then having tried a bit, bits of acting and worked in TV and done music. And the biggest buzz, I reckon is stand-up. Yeah. I can imagine, like, stepping out, you know, running a 100-meter race at the Olympics or come yeah, close yeah, or an yeah, FA yeah, Cup yeah. final. Yeah, of but, course. But, you know, apart from running in a straight line, I'm shit at sports. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and swimming in a straight line. Yeah. Uh, 
So stand-up is the one thing where I still think there'd be room for it. I don't know yeah. when and how. Maybe if yeah. I, I was bankrupt and no one wanted to hear example music ever again, yeah. stand-up would be the first thing I'd go to. You see, the, the tough thing there is the similar problem that we were talking about earlier of a lot of these kids who have an instant hit online and instantly have got a crowd. To get good at stand-up, you yeah. have to play to people who don't know who you are. Yeah. Whereas if you're doing a stand-up gig and your fans are there, they're predisposed to come and enjoy it. You won't know if you're good for a long while. Do you know what I mean? You'll be getting laughs because they like, oh, look, it's example. Well, you do have to, they've got the most, the guys I've You must have had that at gigs, like just talking in between and making jokes and people getting into it. It's like, you're not a stand-up at that stage, but it's your crowd. So they're easy to to win over. I went and saw Adele at um, Wembley and she chats for like sometimes four or five minutes between every song. Yeah. And, I was sat there watching it and Alan Carr's next to me and he's like, fucking it, she's funnier than me. You know, yeah, like, yeah, you yeah, can't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she is and you, you almost... Yeah. She breaks out into one of her, you know, global monster hits and you're yeah. like, can't wait for the song to finish so, so you, you can hear, hear some her more chat of your again. Chat. Yeah, I um, love it. And she almost becomes like a caricature of herself because she's yeah. so smart. Yeah. You know, like... Um, she she sees the reaction she gets when she's on like a talk show, a Graham Norton or a Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. And it's just like, ah, oh, that ah. Oh. So not only have I got the best voice in the world and got some of the biggest songs ever written, I'm actually just like this hilarious stand-up. Yeah. And she really milks that. Yeah. yeah and I, yeah. I and I, I, I wish it. I could do that in my show, but it's almost like my gigs are raves. You know what I mean? I want people jumping from the start of the set to the end of the set. It's not like we build up to a crescendo. It's just yeah. like mosh pit from the start. So let's talk about the transition so, into that because because yeah. you were. You were known for kind of lad rap, tongue in cheek lad rap, quite comedy, and it's an interesting one. Cause there was a was... couple. Occasionally, there was some serious dark stuff. Like, I mean, yeah. like, there's like what we made, which was about um, you know global uh, Armageddon destruction, nuclear. I shot the music video in Chernobyl for oh, that one. Fucking a, yeah. um, and then there was a couple of other songs like No Sleep for the Wicked, where I was sort of was my first sort of delving into battling your psyche, and you know, yeah, but. But it was storytelling. It was, it was mainly, was, was, mainly humour. Intricate lyrics. It was all that, like, like it was, or not intricate, but packed lyrics. Yeah, so it was um, mainly humour. So then I'm, so I've left, well, the Beats sort of disbanded uh, Mike Skinner's label. Yeah. Warner dropped them. They, From what I understand, it was like they spent three, four hundred grand on like the Mitchell Brothers' second yeah. album and it hadn't worked. Um, they were amazing, actually. I don't know. They, they had a song. Check this, right? So it's, it's actually such a shame because... They were such lovely fellas. And they weren't like the best rappers, but as a package, they were just so much character. They, they had a song called together. Michael Jackson. Yeah. And, and it was their make or break hit. And and basically the label, the beats, was everything was resting on this song being a hit. Right. And I remember them saying to us, like, to me and Pro Green, and they were starting to develop other acts at the time. They were like, look, if if this Mitchell Brothers album and this single don't go well, Warner are going to cut all funds. Yeah. And then the beats won't exist anymore. Yeah. And I was just like, I didn't really care that I would, didn't have a record deal. I was like, I want to be able to come to the shed and queue every week. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one, you know, maybe Pete Dockett is in there. I yeah. don't know who's going to be there tomorrow. Damon Albarn's in there with yeah. a fucking dog um, on mushrooms. I don't know. <laughs> so I didn't want this sort of dream to end. Yeah. It's almost like um, being, that honeymoon period's over. Yeah, it's like, yeah, completely. And but all good things must come to an end. And they had this song produced by Calvin Harris. So right. Calvin Harris, his first album had come out, so he'd had Acceptable in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. He didn't have his first big hit until I'm Not Alone, or You're Not Alone. Yeah. Uh, if I see a light flashing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not alone. Yeah. That was his first number yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, So, K- 
Calvin Harris had produced a song for the Mitchell Brothers called Michael Jackson. And the chorus went, I wish I could move like Michael Jackson. Then around. It was like very streetsy. Yeah, yeah, it was also yeah. very gimmicky as well. Yeah. So Calvin's produced it. And then Robbie Williams sang the chorus. <laughs> so it was going to be the Mitchell Brothers featuring Robbie Williams, produced by Calvin Harris. And for whatever reason, Robbie ended up coming off it. Right. The single flopped. And within like a week, the label was like over. That's mad. That's and I was it. just like, well, I want to see Professor Green every week and do yeah. loads of MDMA and drink where, Stella. Uh, this is where I go. Yeah, I just want to go to Camden and, you know, come out of a pub and, yeah. <laughs> like, that's life for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, there's no, I need to be on TV, I need to be rich, I need to be famous, I need to have hits. It was just like, this is my life. Yeah. And I didn't know how long it was going to last. I so think then, what's key at that point, though, is you, as you'd said earlier, you still hadn't necessarily found who you wanted to be or what you wanted to do musically. You were just kind of open songs, to what you wanted to do. But I didn't know how to write a hit. Yeah. Because I, was I wasn't trying to write hits. You know, Skinner was A&R in me and Stephen. I've still, I still keep all the emails that Skinner wrote to me. Some yeah. of them are like thousand words. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, the stuff, he, he, there's a lot of stuff he did really wrong and got wrong. And I think he was a bit too controlling and wanted me and Stephen to be exactly certain things. Yeah. Because, you know, Mike's an obsessive. And he's yeah. like, his knowledge of, especially of hip hop, is incredible. You know, he was the stuff that he would tell me about when the beast when the Beastie Boys first came out, they did this and when Sozo came out and you need to have something to rebel against the kids who yeah, love yeah. you and it was like, Oh shit and I took a lot of it on board, but there was some other advice as well which was completely wrong. Yeah. But that's just A and R, I suppose. Yeah, sure. Uh, imagine my having my the streets as A and R. That's why I've still kept all these emails in a folder on yeah, my on my Yahoo email. I love um that. and then yeah, so literally it all just like imploded. Their last beat Stevie episode Beats TV, but they called it Beat Stevie. Yeah. Genius. Um, had that Miami Vice sort of logo, yeah, do you yeah, remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the last episode was they had a, a coffin. And right. And it was like the Beats funeral. And right, they yeah, They just sort yeah, of burnt yeah. this coffin. They did, they did, it's Damn. on YouTube. They did yeah. a load of gear off the top of this Amazing. coffin. They yeah. set fire to it. And it was, you know, like proper enemy fodder. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah. um, you know, enemy all down there taking pictures. Mike Skinner's Beats is brand But... I remember at the time, as it ended, I was like, fuck, this whole thing's sort of being about Mike. Mm. Not wh whether he was, you know, doing it as like a, a vanity project label. I don't know what his but, intentions were. But, I think he genuinely wanted control. to develop apps. Yeah, and he, and he wanted to have his own label and he wanted to, it to be successful. And I do think he really cared about us. But what I realised after that was like, Professor Green's one of the best rappers in the country. Yeah. Uh, freestyling and written, whatever. It's just like, I'm never going to be as good as that. And then he he's doing his own thing and you can see why Mike like that. And I don't really know what Mike saw in me, but he obviously saw something. And, you know, out of three acts, two of them have gone into, you know, smash it. And then the Mitchell yeah. brothers, sadly, yeah, yeah, yeah. were no more. But I, if you look back at that period, well, when I look back at that period, I'm like, no one was there asking me how I felt yeah. afterwards. And every time yeah, I got interviewed around then, yeah, it was like, so tell us about Mike, tell us about Mike. And at the time I didn't, yeah, but no one ever said, what, uh, what's your new single about? Um, yeah. Who is example? Where did you grow up? What music did you listen yeah, to? It was always yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so tell us some funny stories about Mike on tour. Yeah. But why wouldn't you? Because he was the biggest act in the country Completely. at the time. So this, the, as the label ended, I was like, no one actually gives a shit about me. It's like, like even mad, though I had fans. It's that mad snake eating its own tail. Because again, exactly. that's what brought the attention in initially. Because it was other, Mike's yeah. label and Mike was so big. 
but equally it's the most credible e- start even you can though have. he will have had the best intentions yeah. it's still going to be all under his shadow yeah so how was it to step out from under that well then i just thought then i lost complete faith in everything and i was yeah. like right i'm gonna move to australia and my mum and dad were like to be fair they were like son look you've given it a good go you know you've you've done i've probably done 300 gigs at this point yeah um i supported just jack yeah get yeah, kate yeah. wear kate fly yeah uh the rifles um and i was just like i need to pack this all in and move to australia and pursue my love of films um and then like i was applying to get into australia i thought it would be straightforward it's one of the hardest countries in the world to get a visa right. and it was yeah. like yeah your first class degree from university of london means fuck all you've got to go back to university in australia for two years if you want to become a, a resident Damn. yeah so i was like well fuck that so i went back to work in tv and then I got a call from Ministry of Sound. Yeah. Dave Dollymore, legend, who's now head of RCA. Mm-hmm. Um, so I he put me in for a meeting and he was just like, I've listened to your album, I've listened to your mixtape. And he goes, What I really like on the mixtape is your cover of Britney Spears Toxic. Yeah. He goes, Take away it was the song was called Toxic Breath. Yeah. It was about my ex who's an alcoholic. Pot calling <laughs> kettle there, mate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he says drinking his red wine at two PM. Um, and he was just like, I was playing all these new hip hop demos and you know some little offcuts from the album, and he was like, I, I really like Toxic. I was like, well, you want me to do like a sort of joke cover song? He went, no, the the tempo. Mm. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, look, everything you're doing is like 90 BPM, 100 BPM. Why? And obviously, their Ministry of Sound, yeah, completely. <laughs> you know, uh, most famous dance label in the world, dance brand. And he was, he so you played me this beat. Um, and I remember just like my manager was in the room. So my manager's like old school, like, you know, to be around in the rave days with Paul Oakenfold yeah, and yeah, used yeah. to put out um, loads of techno and trance records, yeah. you know, bootlegs, all like every, every single album was by a different artist made up name, I you know, yeah, so yeah, the, yeah, the tax yeah. man couldn't trace them and yeah, yeah, no one knew yeah. where the, vi- the white label vinyl came from. So yeah. he was, his first love was dance music, my manager. Yeah. So he was like, amazing. This is exciting. You know, so they played me this beat and he was like, uh, Dave Dollymore uh, Ministry, who was the head of A&R then, said, just take it away and see what you come up with. So he played with it to be, and then I was taking it home, and I was like, just doing something like typical, like me back then, just cheeky. And I came up with this phrase, show me your dirty face. And um, we put it out, and we started playing it in the sets, because I was still doing a couple of gigs here and yeah. there. Because I, I still, even though I was working on TV, I was still, was like, no, I'm going to go on tour. Yeah. And I was getting a, a grand a gig, maybe but I was spending 300 quid on the splitter and then 200 quid at travel lodges. Yeah, 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 and then yeah. my driver was the sound man and I played my bass player 50 quid and then yeah, yeah. a DJ 50 quid a gig. So I was actually just breaking even. And this song, Show Me Your Dirty Face, became like the final song of the set. And then we started almost like on the decks, speeding up all of the older songs a bit more. Right. And then I started noticing, and then I did a song called Hooligans yep. with Don Diablo, who's a now massive, like globally as a DJ, but back then was only a star in Holland. Yeah. But, um, so this song called Hooligans, Zane Lowe made it hottest record in the world. And it was like my take on, I suppose, Prodigy. Yeah. Um, but with just lyrics that were just, only could come from my head. But that's it. It was making <laughs> that transition to, to, to Prodigy type thing of of not being these packed out verses and then a hook yeah. it was having these just a phrase having a turn release, of phrase this moment and having yeah. a punchline before yeah. the drop yeah and i was like because in my mind i was like i've always loved um prodigy i've always loved basement jacks and yeah. groove armada i was massively into garage uk garage garage um 
when I was like 18 because I went to school in South London. So yeah. it was all yeah, jungle yeah, yeah. and garage. Yeah, and we used course. to go down to the Litton Tree, which is sadly closed down around, yeah. around the corner. And like fake ID when you're 17, get in. There'd be like someone would get stabbed. You know, you might get, if you're lucky, you might get to lip some girl. And there'd be a guy on the mic, and it was all the classic old garage, you know. It's a, it's a South London um, night out. You know, simple. I had Patrick Cox wannabes. I had red machino jeans. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. had like a um, a Ben Sherman shirt or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Some Versace, whatever. And um, yeah, spent a week's wages on one pair of jeans. And um, so I'd always liked that tempo, and I could always spit over that. Yeah. Because at school, from the age of eleven to eighteen, hip hop and Wu Tang Clan became after a while almost uncool yeah yeah yeah. and then yeah. garage and jungle came in and then garage music yeah. so i actually learned to spit double time over everything anyway yeah so when ministry of sound came calling it was like the first time i could actually because on the on the beats on the streets days i could only ever imagine supporting mike skinner i thought that was the pinnacle of my career yeah now on dance music and oh, wow, there's producers from holland and america and yeah. germany that they're getting me beats from because I'd only ever worked with one producer, a bit yeah, like yeah, you yeah, and yeah, Dan, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, so, exactly. example, and Russia. So, yeah. Joe Garden, the Russia who made my first album and mixtapes, he now is a producer's Mr. Jam show yeah. at Radio One. Don't, so, he's still yeah. in music. But it was like, I'd been loyal to him, never experimented with other, and all of a sudden, all these beats coming through. And then yeah. I meet Chase and Status yeah. before their first album came out when they were just sort of like big in the drum and bass scene. And then I met MJ Cole. And then Sub Focus, who produced Kickstarts yeah, for me. Yeah. Um, and then they sort of put me in this sort of month-long writing camp with, uh, Ministry did, with Metrophonic. So Metrophonic are like what they call a hit factory. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like Dr. Luke and Max Martin in Sweden and all that. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so I went to, they're based out in Guildford. And this period was really interesting because I went down there and it was almost like a masterclass in how to write pop songs. Yeah. So these guys had done Believe in Life After Love for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like number one in 28 countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I just need to go down and learn. And yeah. even though in a way I was like listening to production and you played the production next to Chase and Status and stuff, Focus, it didn't stand up to it yeah. in terms of what I wanted. Yeah. But it was undoubtedly amazing pop music. Yeah. Um, and then I'm in the, sat in a room with the guy who wrote Hero for Enrique Iglesias. Yeah. I can be a hero. And I was just like, this guy's pretty much got like nine cars and seven houses off of one song. And I'd never been interested in money, but I was just almost like, it was a combination of the freedom of being out of the hip hop world where I was never really accepted. Yeah. I felt like I wasn't because I was a white kid from West London yeah. and I had long hair. And in my mind, I was like, my mum, even though we weren't posh and rich, in my mind, I was like, because we lived in a house and my mum and dad were married. Yeah. I didn't have the right to rap yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, you yeah, you, know, you had that. to be a you, you had to come from a council estate regardless yeah. of your skin color because yeah. now it's not a thing yeah. you know you can be whoever you are whatever you want from whatever yeah but back then there was still a thing what was your story what's your street cred all this yeah yeah hundred percent so uh, my thing was like well I'll go to school with a load of ghetto people but at the end of the day I'm a white kid and I had long hair and my mum and dad are still married so I've, no one's ever you can't have a career as a rapper yeah yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and then f- as soon as my mindset was out of I'm the next Mike Skinner or that's what I want to be or that's what he thinks I should be. Yeah. Fucking hell. Well, you love dance music. You love, you know, raving. You like rapping over that tempo. You're now working with these, this, these hit factory people. You're learning all their tricks. Yeah. How to move notes and melodies and what suits my voice and uh, how you can just tweak that note there. And it's 
you know, 10 times more uplifting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. And so you're learning all these tricks straight. So I wrote Watch the Sun Come Up with them. Yeah. Um, which was my first top 40. It was like 17 or 18 in the chart. So put out Hooligans, Zane Lowe played that. Watch Sun Come Up, Pete Tong championed it, uh, charted. And then it was like the next single came from that hit factory as well, Won't Go Quietly. That was like yeah. number six in the charts. And then everything I'd learned from them, I was then applying to all the stuff I was writing with all, you know, the cool producers, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah, dance yeah. guys. So I'm in the studio with Sub Focus and he plays me just this, this bass line. It sounded almost like The Killers or U2. And it was just like... Classic, like, festival riff. Yeah, yeah. And then towards the end of the song, I just heard this... Almost he had it in the background. I was like, why is that not like at the start of the song? Why is that not in the drop? Yeah, yeah. So that was my first input into production yeah and like what's hooky and because up until then i just accepted beats and then written raps over them completely and, and a lot of time the that's co- your role as the rapper to yeah, just, yeah. just jump on it so but. in the in the it's almost like fast track to myself through yeah. contacts meeting producers and you know ministries a and r and which was very cleverly of david donnell was just like i'm gonna let elliot be elliot but i'm just gonna sort of nudge him and gently yeah. guide him to certain people and certain why don't you try this and then the last record for my second album, Won't Go Quietly, was Kickstarts. Yeah. And it was the first time I'd actually sung and rapped the whole way through the track. Yeah. There was no samples. There was no features. And I only laid down the singing as a guide vocal because I imagined someone else to sing it. Yeah, yeah, and they were yeah, like, yeah. but that it sounds great. And I was like, no, no, no. So I wasn't comfortable with it. Yeah. Because um, I used to have a really good singing voice when I was like 12, when I was in you know local theatre productions, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then I hit 16, 16, voice broke, yeah, and then I was scared to sing in public, yeah, because um, my voice is so deep, you just think, oh, it's not pop enough. Anyway, Kickstarts was the blueprint because it charted at number three, yeah, it probably would have been number one, but the World Cup was on. I think right. Dizzy Rascal's World Cup. You always remember the songs that beat you, yeah, Dizzy yeah, Rascal's yeah, World Cup song was number right. one, and number two was Canaan Waving Flag. Right. <laughs> and I was number three with Kickstarts, but we stuck around for ages. And then it was mad because it went from like earning a grand a gig to 10, 20 grand a gig yeah. in a space month. So as I said you, before, it wasn't about the money, but all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's about the money. So because you've then got that sort of financial stability. Yeah. yeah and I didn't yeah, even yeah. like look up into the bank accounts. It wasn't that exciting. It was just sort of at the back of your mind. How was that for you to go from kind of, not knowing what you're chasing to suddenly having this this huge success and well, i remember the main thing i just thought to myself and having was, that much input into it and that control you know well i i sort of had to pinch myself and then be like whatever you're doing right now you know really busy with gigs recording mm. whenever i could because i was already working on what was then became my third album playing in the shadows yeah. when kickstarts came out yeah i had a formula then as well i was yeah. like it's just banging beats uh there's a drop there's a catchphrase before it and I probably will m- mainly focus on singing yeah. because I started realising in foreign language countries it was really starting to pick up. Yeah. I was getting bookings o- overseas. Um, and then, you know, just have fun with it and just talk about what you're going through, which was yeah. like uh, addiction and breakups and um, long nights and too much partying. And that just became my calling card. And then I just sort of applied that again. Yeah. And I said to myself, I'm not going to buy a house, I'm not going to buy any cars. I've never been into jewellery. I'm not going to buy watches and all that shit. I'm still going to keep getting my freebies from Levi's and Puma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Because yeah, I'm yeah. like, this is who I am. This is what I mean. And then for two years, I kind of held on to that. Yeah. I was still living with my step-granddad in yeah. a really sort of run-down house. Although yeah, it's yeah, in yeah. Fulham. 
You know, yeah. it's like a million pound house, but it's like a... Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm living there. It was almost like too scared to bring girls back because it wasn't the place to show off. Yeah. Still blagging freebies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, I, I, by staying in that mindset, I was able to then go and write Change the Way You Kiss Me yeah. and then stay awake, which was number one as well. And all in this period, so I was just like... I probably did... In 2011, uh, so it was the year after Kickstarts came out, I did 126 gigs. Yeah. And I look back on my diary now. Actually, recently I had to go back through my diary for some immigration forms I'm filling out for Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was like one week, or it was a few weeks where it was like, it might have been five or six gigs, say, over like 14 days. Yeah. But then in there as well would be like uh, Radio One Live Lounge, Studio with Calvin, yeah. photo shoot for front cover of FHM, yeah. BBC Breakfast News, performance at Graham Norton, live band rehearsal. Yeah. And it was like, burning the candle at both ends yeah. and i was you know i was my i just split up with my girlfriend who i'd written all the songs about so a lot of the inspiration came from that and then i finally said oh, i've got to start i've got to buy a property yeah and then and then it was just this sort of like you know this this train that just didn't stop yeah and and then i'd go to australia to see my parents once a year for a month and that was my chill out time yeah I'm very, I don't know how I didn't die during that. Period. I was going to say, how was that being in the middle of all of that? Because you you do have an addictive personality, you do have um, a, a bold, outgoing character. So, was there a risk of it all going to your head, or you doing I don't yourself think it ever in? Went to my head because I had good people around me. Yeah, yeah, and I had all my best mates would always give me shit, and yeah. they'd always whenever I was out of line, and so I've, I, you know that was important because I didn't just have you know hangers on and yeah. people who wanted to just like sponge off me because it's a weird one because i've got the same circle of friends now yeah that i've had for like 12 years in this industry so the best men at my wedding were my dj yeah. sam and andy who you just met my who's like my bass player yeah, my, yeah, show, yeah. my engineer and they're the first people to pick me up and everything and and that's key but because it's a mad thing because circumstance can change interpretation yeah. a lot so if it you're like start one of your songs yeah it does exactly <laughs> so if you're at a festival um early days with mike and with steve and, and you know you, you you're being loud and larry yeah, it's yeah. like oh they're they're yeah. keen they're excited if you're headlining that festival and you're being loud and larry they'll be like who's this prick do you know exactly. what i mean so there's there's that that balance of you can remain exactly the same but depending on where you are status wise it can look as if you're being you know fully yourself or over the top or whatever yeah, yeah. so it's that it's that mad mix right yeah because sometimes like just confidence yeah and uh you know my sense of humor um which is a lot of it you know it's just like sarcasm isn't it yeah, really of course. um and just puns and just think it's like dad's humor really i was uh, doing dad jokes before i became a dad <laughs> but um if people don't haven't met you in person i just catch a little glimpse of you on yeah. tv or whatever they start to think you're like a really arrogant, cocky prick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've had to do a lot of PR recently, like over the, year, the you know the years afterwards, because you 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 know you you become so aware of everything you're saying and doing, and how you just you know throw away comment about something, and then you look on Twitter the next day. Yeah. And I I was very I'm like I'm not an Instagram generation person. I'm more of a Twitter yeah. generation. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. I went from eighty thousand followers to two point five million yeah. in a year. Yeah. Right. And. And I was getting probably 2,000 tweets a day and I was reading a load of them because yeah. it becomes addictive. And then there'd be abuse. And you'd just be like, how do people not know me for who I am? How do they not or, get that humour? And then you start overthinking it. But the whole thing is like a lot of people, when they sign some major labels, like in boy bands and, you know, the next, uh, you know, big female solo singer, they go through media training. Yeah. 
and I've, I'd never had that. And I was learning media training. Yeah. I was making mistakes. Yeah. Whilst I was having number ones. <laughs> oh, one of the things I'd notice, I'd, I'd see you on TV every now and then. And, you know, if I, I saw you, it, it's the same with anyone who you know. It's like, oh, they're going to be on something. If I'm about, yeah, you know, I'll it give out. it a look. So, oh, yeah, and, it's on Buzzcocks. Yeah, I'll yeah, go and watch that. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it, I definitely felt that around the time you, you settled down with your missus and you had a kid and things like that, the Elliot I was seeing on TV was changing hugely. Mm. Now that probably just coincides with you just becoming more aware of, of yeah, how it all works. Yeah. Because again, I'd watch and laugh, but I'd also be like, some people are going to take that wrong or yeah, some people are going to yeah, read that as this or read that as that. Because yeah. like, I'm, I'm still that awkward kid in the playground. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know, just feeling let's, a bit like you don't say something. fit. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. You, know, you should say something, I have to stop myself. Yeah. And I, I recently said something on, um, you know, the last leg. Yeah. I was on there and I was doing so well and I was chatting and then just like verbal diarrhea made some stupid, like nothing to do with anything comment about scousers. And you could just see the TV presenter and it went out live as well. So yeah. edit, and you could just see him sort of going, yeah. And I was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> so then I was dreading looking on Twitter. Yeah. This was only in January. Yeah. Someone, some scousers are going to be like fucking angry and I'm yeah. playing Liverpool music, international music festival this summer. I'm going to have yeah. to cancel. And there was like four or five people going, what's your fucking problem? Your... Yeah, 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 yeah. And the, uh, hey, don't... And I'm like, no, I love, I love Liverpool. Well, what did you make that call? <laughs> uh, but that's just me. It's just like... Speaking I'm, in I, that moment. I've always put my foot in it. I yeah. always say um, stuff at inopportune <laughs> moments and, yeah. So, so how was it to have that huge climb to be having number ones, to be having huge festival gigs, huge shows, to go from a few a few thousand to a few million on Twitter, you know, yeah. things like that. Um, but then have the pressure of that's what you now need to recreate What's or it? that's what you need to redo. Because, I mean, we'll get to it as, as we've been going over an hour now, but we'll get <laughs> to it is one of the things that made this perfect timing is you've left Sony, Sony. and started so, yeah, your so own after label. I, after so I was how in... was that? What was the kind of transition there? So I did three albums with Ministry. Yeah. So my fourth album, Evolution of Man, came out in 2012. And that was like, I wanted to always wanted to do a rock grunge album because yeah. I love grunge music. And it was like an electronically produced rock album. Yeah. I had Graham Coxon play guitar on five of the tunes. Yeah. Um, just so the enemy would like it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was it's still my favourite album personally. Ministry, God bless them, they let me do it. Yeah, when yeah, really yeah, yeah. I should have gone and made another five chains where you kiss me and had yeah, like yeah, another yeah. load of number ones. Yeah. I mean, I I got to the point where I was like, I only wanted to make music that I loved because that's what I'd always done. Yeah. And then you realise oh, I need to play the game, and I, the reason I didn't do another album of ministry is they probably thought, "What the fuck's he going to do next?" Like yeah. some psy trance, you know, yeah, 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 country yeah. album, yeah. folk album, um, and <laughs> and when they couldn't believe I stumbled on songs like "Kickstarts" and "Change the Way You Kiss Me" because it's like, oh, you have one hit. It's very rare that you repeat it. Yeah, and I had as either as a feature or as an example, I had like seventeen top forties in yeah. three years. Mad. And I was never trying to write hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Um, and then after leaving ministry, I signed to Sony because I stupidly thought, and don't get me wrong, majors work for some people, but I was like, well, I'm already this big. You know, I'm already selling out arenas. Yeah. Now I'm going to sell out arenas in America and Europe because, you know, you sign to someone like Sony because Island Records came in for me as well. Yeah. Uh, and then Sony came in for me, or Epic Records at Sony. I was like, well, it's easy. I'll just write a load more hits which is it comes easy to me yeah yeah and that now when it becomes the number one in the uk they can then feed that to their 
you know, their Sony offices in yeah, Germany yeah, and yeah, Benelux yeah. and yeah. Asia and South America. And I'm going to be traveling. I mean, I, only, I was signed to ministry, but I was only signed in the UK. So right. they then had to sell on my tracks to certain regions because yeah, yeah, this was yeah, before yeah, Spotify. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't like you put a song up and it was available everywhere at the same time. Yeah. Um, so my thing was like, well, I've already played festivals. I've done festivals in 47 countries. Yeah. Like in the space of like two years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I was like, now not only can I play these places, I can go and tour them and, you know, headline their festivals. Cause that's how you think, not Completely. in an egotistical way, but you're like, I've made this up as I've gone along and yeah. I've been pretty and good. It's been doing working. It. Yeah. It's yeah, been yeah. working. And particularly so, when you're in the system, it becomes goal based. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it doesn't become, what do I want? It goes, right. Well, I've had this, this, this. The next things are this, this, this. Here's where well, I need to reach. On my fourth album, The Evolution of Man, I had one song called Say Nothing. Yeah. And I had another song called with Calvin, We'll Be Coming Back. Um, and those songs were both number two in the charts. Mm. And I remember being really, really upset. Mad, isn't it? You'd rather you were three or four. It's nuts, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's sort of like where my head was at the time. Yeah. Because you just think, and I just met, I've met my wife. Um, I was touring Australia which I'd always wanted to tour because obviously my family were there. Yeah, so I, sure. I, in my mind, I was like, I need to end up in Australia one day. Yeah, that's the Because end. one of the reasons me and my ex split up, apart from for that period, I was a horrible cheating bastard. Um, I was like, eventually I need to settle down in Australia. And she was like, no way I'm moving to Australia. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so at the back of your mind, you're like, well, we're going to have to split up at some point then. Yeah. Because I'm going to be based there one it's day. It's got a time limit. And on. then I'm in Australia and this woman walks into the room and I'm like, Oh my God. And I was like, who's that? And they're like, oh, that's Erin McNoish. Yeah. What's she? Oh, she won Miss Australia, Miss Universe. And she was in Neighbours and now she's, this is her, her show. Fucking hell, it's the best interview I've ever done. I haven't even done the interview. Yeah. But then I was also thinking, I've got zero chance with her because she's famous in Australia. She's earning her own money. She don't need me. Yeah, Up until yeah, that yeah. point, I was like, I'm still the, the geeky, you know, kid I am, nerd that I was in school. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm aware of my massive teeth and like my nose and my ears <laughs> sticking out. So I'm like, all right, I'm pulling some really fit birds at the moment, but I'm example. Yeah. Fucking hell, you yeah. know, I should be. There's the and, reason, yeah. And yeah. I'm like, and then you meet, I met, I met her and I'm like, she doesn't need me. She's, you know, <laughs> what she yeah. need me for? She's got her own money. Um, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, stupid yeah. that you think like that, but that's how I thought. And then I got back from the interview and she messaged me on Twitter. She was like, that's the most fun interview I've ever done. I'm coming to see you at the festival at the weekend. Anyway, it was like love at first sight. Amazing. Hit off. But then I was A, trying to write for this fifth album with sony or epic records they were like we need you to just do more we'll be coming back and we need to do yeah. more change because it's just like they they didn't have any direction they didn't put me with anyone in particular yeah um they were like you know you know where to get beats from that sort of thing right yeah and it was like ah fuck yeah and then because it was i wasn't like having fun with it and i wasn't sort of relaxed about it also, I was probably too happy. I should have taken a year off of writing music because yeah. I just got married yeah. to like Miss Australia. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? In Byron Bay. Yeah. And like I'd bought my second property and um, life was good and I should have just chilled. But I love writing too much. I love being in the studio. I love a challenge. But I was going to the studio and all I could think about was at the back of my mind, the worst A&R and advice ever, which is repeat what you've done, repeat what you've done. Yeah. Rather than... I don't know, mate. Surprise me. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I and when you listen to my fifth album, "Live Life Living," it's so weird because half the album's produced by Stuart Price, right? Who you know, if people don't know, is one of the most legendary UK producers of probably the last 10, 20 years. Yeah. Like the Killers, Madonna, yeah. Pet Shop Boys, 
So I went over to live with him in LA, made this amazing sort of acid um, tinged sort of uh, dance pop rock. And then the other half of the album I did with Fraser T. Smith, right. who's produced for like Adele and uh, Retoura. He did Stormzy's album. Yeah. He did Kano's album. Amazing right. you, yeah. producer. But I came back from like this sort of month writing and they were desperate to have a song out because like ride the, you know, ride the crest of this wave that example had left ministry, gone to Sony. We need a hit. Yeah. Um, we need to strike while the iron's hot. And I, I listened to these songs and I was like, we, we had like 20 demos and 10 of them sounded like one artist and 10 of them sounded like the other. Yeah. And there wasn't one standout hit. As an album, we could have, say, taken all the Stuart Price songs and it would have been an amazing album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, maybe yeah, that course. was the right thing to do. But they were sort of like trying to, you know, put a, a square peg into a round hole. Yeah. And they ended up, there's a song that I wrote for a boy band. Because so around this time as well, I wrote Chasing the Sun for The Wanted. Yeah. So I went into the studio with the hit factory guys, Metrophonic. Yeah. Wrote, and they were like, right, we need to write a song for Kylie Minogue. So I wrote the song Chasing the Sun for Kylie Minogue. I demoed it. And then we pitched the vocals so it sounded a bit Kylie because Kylie's got quite a deep yeah, vocal yeah. for a female anyway. And then I got an email from her. Oh, I really appreciate you writing this song for me. It's great, but we don't really, it's not right for my sound. We don't yeah. want to get, get away from dance music. And then we got a call from the head of Capital, um, Global, you know, Global Radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they also managed The Wanted. Like, right. Talk about fucking monopolies, mate. Yeah, 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 not yeah. only are we going to manage that, we're just going to playlist you on Capital yeah. Day. So they just had a massive hit. And they were like, we want to record this song you've written for Kylie. And that was, that was number two in the charts over here, but it was number one in America. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like, that's, you know, yeah, one of those yeah, songs yeah. where it's just like, it buys you a house in yeah. Australia, that vibe. Completely, yeah. Um, and then, and then I, I had some other pop songs lying around, which I'd written for boy bands, mm. you know, generic boy band A. Yeah. Um, great name, actually. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And it was called Kids Again. And the lyrics are like, kids again, kids again, let's behave like kids again. And... Had the video been like kids with strippers, kids doing yeah. drugs, kids yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know, um, kids doing adult stuff. Remember the Biggie and yeah, Puff yeah, Daddy yeah, one where yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. them dressed as the... Yeah, um, versions. I thought we could maybe do something with this, but I was like, this is a boy band song. Yeah. And they were like, look, it just sounds, it, it sounds very Calvin Harrisy. It was, that was, it was actually hearing phrases like that. Yeah. And then you're like, fuck, I've just signed to these cunts. And like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in for three albums and the first album hasn't even come out. And we put out one song and it charted at 13. And then they were like, Kids Against the One. I was like, oh, fuck. And then having to be excited about doing it, I'm like, maybe they're right. Maybe this is going to be a hit. And yeah. then after that, I can do what I want. Charted at 13 as well. So it charted at the same spot as the weird sort of acid rave track yeah. we've had before. Yeah. Then they're like, oh, fuck, what do we do? Then I'd been in the studio writing a song for Cheryl Cole. Right. And then we took it back and made it my single, One More Day, Stay With Me. Yeah. So that was like, that saved that album. That charted at like number four. Yeah. And then this was like where the obsession between like chart positions and this mad, came from. It? Because yeah. before I didn't care, it was just like, amazing, we're number one. They want to make some good music. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was just like chasing the chart position yeah. and the Capital FM playlist. And yeah. that's not me. Because when I'd get a call and be like, oh, you're on the Capital A list. I'd be like, fucking sick. Is this good? Yeah. You know. Um, Thanks for telling me. And then... And then, so then Epic Records disbanded. They had three MDs mm. running this company. We all hated each other. We all on different vibes. All yeah. earning stupid money. Yeah. Like, imagine like what an exec at a record label earns, but having three of them. Yeah. And the only people on the label were me and Foxes. Yeah. So I would have had to sell like 7 million albums <laughs> yeah. just to break to even pay, and yeah. pay their fucking wages. Yeah. That's um, so it was never going to work. So then I was stuck within the Sony system without 
actually being assigned to a specific right, imprint. Home. Yeah. And um, then I got picked up by Columbia. And then that was like a year ago. And then I'm playing them songs. And then they, you know, we tried to sing one January. That didn't work or work like they wanted to. I wanted to just keep releasing music. So I'm like, I don't know which one's going to be a hit. We don't yeah. shoot videos. Because yeah. they're always like, as soon as you say we're going to put out a single, you've got to pay the producer. And because you're on a major, the producer usually gets three grand a beat, wants 10 grand a beat because yeah. you're on a fucking major yeah, label. Yeah, 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 then you course. need four or five remixes. Or we need all the specialists ticked off at, you know, Kiss FM. And- Session of the remixes, which I honestly think... You- you, you, if, if you've got one that really bangs, then that's yeah. great. But it's this obsession over. But you and, should and go to the main song. You know well. what I mean? If the main song's good enough, then then you go off that. Yeah, completely. There is always an obsession. If we need four or five different remixes, we need an iTunes exclusive. We oh, need yeah. this and that, and it's Bollocks. all just. Can you do an acoustic version and all? Who, it's like, yeah, well, I can, but yeah, no one is that into all that shit. No. The the hit is the hit. If they like the song, then they like the song. It's very rare that. A remix is the big, yeah, yeah. the big thing that turns it. So. And then on top of that, you've got like, say, the art. It's old industry outlook. Yeah. It's, it's the way it used to be. It's getting those extra, extra, extra twelve. So, and by, like that. so by that point, just from remixes yeah. and um, delivering the song, mixed and mastered, they've spent fifteen grand. Yeah. Right. So, and because I'm a numbers man, as I said to you before, I've always loved maths, and yeah. my dad wanted me to go and work in a, a bank or be an accountant. So I'm there, and I'm always adding this up in my head. So I'm like. Okay, I've left Epic. They've wiped the debt there, so I'm starting yeah. fresh with Columbia. But already they spent fifteen grand, and the song hasn't even come out, and we haven't shot a video yet. Yeah, we've got to, we've got to basically have three million streams just before we break even. Yeah, and that, there's a fine balance now whether you've got a song on five hundred thousand, and then once you hit that sort of magic mark, four or five million, all of a sudden you can be at fifty million streams. Yeah, and then you're making real money uh, in today's terms. And it's madness, I hate... though, that it's on streams now. It's I know. Not, it's not a record sales thing. It's, it's fucking like mental. streams you need to So hit. then we get video pitches in. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I've got this wicked idea for a video. I can shoot it for about four grand. And like, no, we really want you to work with this director. You know, it's a big statement. It's a big example. Come back. And I was like, fuck's oh, it. All right. And then you get the video pitches in. How much is it going to be? Because you're on a major, 30 grand. Of course they are, because the directors earn 10% of the budget. Yeah, why so why they? is the director going to do two, three days' work if he's not getting paid two, three grand? So yeah. therefore the budget has to be 20 grand. So there's no yeah, favours. Yeah, yeah. So then the single still hasn't come out. And then we've got a 30 grand video, a 15 grand on remixes. and yeah. so, Then they want to do a photo shoot for the artwork. And I'm like, okay, I've got my mate who I've done some photos with. Sean went, no, we've got this new guy. He used to work with Rankin. He's really good. And like, the fellow was really sick. But then it's like, you could go and do some photos for 500 quid. But it's costing four grand because then yeah. you've got a stylist who's like 500 quid a day. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. and the only reason you, I became so aware of these costs because I was never on ministry. Obviously, yeah. I knew what stuff cost, but it wasn't in my mind. Yeah. A, we were having success and B, I was having fun making music. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Just ride the wave. And all of a sudden, I'm panicking because I'm starting to doubt myself because I haven't had a hit since 2014. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I'm still getting bookings. I'm still doing like 50, 60 gigs a year. So I'm yeah. fine financially yeah but i still i don't want to have a hit but i just want to have some songs where people are like fucking that new example tune is sick yeah and yeah, i don't know yeah, what yeah. that song is yeah i still don't but i'm like this ain't gonna go well so i was like whether i believe in this song or not whether radio one playlist it or not yeah i'm we've spent i know that we've spent like 50 grand and the song ain't even come out yeah and uh, so we need to be on like 10 million streams if they're going to even do another single with me yeah and then after the first few weeks you can just see that it's not going to do that anyway Parted ways with Columbia. Yeah. And here we are. And that's... Because you've always got to plug. <laughs> well, that's what's exciting is the stuff... You've you've got a mixtape. So this will be coming Bangers out in and August. And Bangers you're going to be ballads. doing four videos yeah. in four weeks all coming out. So a couple of them will be out when this comes out. 
and I had to listen to that on the SoundCloud link you sent me. And again, it's 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 that combination. The more so the stuff that you played me here as well, though yeah. the combination of the early example t- t- telling stories, who's comfortable as a rapper, yeah. and the example who's comfortable as a singer. And yeah, I feel yeah. till now those two hadn't cr- crossed over. It felt that when you were singing, if you had to rap, you kind of you wanted to leave rap behind you, and yeah. like as you were saying. Yeah, yeah. You were the white kid whose parents hadn't split up, so yeah, yeah. you felt you had to get away from. So when you were comfortable with rap, you were killing it. Yeah, and yeah. when you were finally getting comfortable with with singing, you weren't into the rap part of it. Yeah, so it was yeah. always that 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 starting point where you were like, "I'm not really a singer, yeah, yeah. but I'm not a rapper anymore." It was that kind of that there's, transition. There's such so different art forms in a way. Yeah. But as as Drake's proven, you, it's it's fine to do both and just pick and choose when you want to yeah. do. Either, but I started to think that you know, especially when you start traveling the world and performing, and you're like, are they reacting to the music here? Do I like to sing? Do I even need to rap? So my whole yeah. fifth album, uh, the Live Life Living, the one that came out on Epic, which yeah. was the li- the least Epic experience of my life, <laughs> um, that that there was no rapping on that album, mm. and then I thought, oh, this is going to be this is going to make me even bigger because I, you know, I'm going to be big in America now because yeah. Americans don't care about UK rappers. Yeah, yeah, shit. Like yeah, you start yeah. thinking stupid yeah, shit, yeah. And then the main response on A, the iTunes reviews and then social media is just like, why aren't you rapping? Why aren't you rapping? Yeah. So then you're like, should I just do rap again and just find the fine balance? But this mixtape, Bangers and Ballads, the main reason, so A, we set up our own label. We're going through Cobalt Distribution. You know, it's great. It's like you get, you know, on a, on a major label, you're getting like 25% return yeah. after you've recouped all those stupid costs we were just talking about. Yeah, which all And now I'm going for somewhere where I'm getting the, the flip of that. I'm getting like 75. So. Yeah. And again, it's not about that cash, but it's nice to have in the back of your mind that, you know, you've got a better deal than all your mates on the majors. It, it also <laughs> makes you more committed and dedicated to the project and to the role. If you're, as said, if you've got to that point on on Columbia where you're going, oh man, before it's even come out, we're this much in the hole. It means that you're not going to be 100% excited about it yourself. Song, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So how can you expect your audience to be? So you know, all this gonna, bangers and ballers. feel that, whereas... The vibe I got off you with Bangers and Ballers uh, when you hit me up about it was, you've got to hear this. Yeah. I'm, I'm buzzing about this. I yeah, need yeah. you to know about it. Because I could have come to you in January and said, let, yeah. let me jump on your podcast. And it's yeah. like, well, no, I obviously wasn't excited then. Yeah. Because uh, I'm, exci- I'm excited to chat about yeah, my yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. again. And, and five of the nine tracks on this yeah. were songs that Columbia said no to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we, all of them, like uh, Into Darkness, which is about going away on tour and yeah. finding you know, off into the night almost and then coming back to the family. Um, I, I played that to Epic like 18 months ago and they were like, it's an amazing song and it sounds like a hit, but and you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. we don't think your fans want to hear about you talking about like being a dad. And like, well, the song's not about being a dad. There's like one lyric in there. It's like, I'd come home and my son's on the doorstep and we can rub noses and it's quite yeah. cute. I was like, there's 17 year old kids out there with You've got kids. Yeah, yeah, completely. I was like, if people got younger brothers and sisters, they've got, you know, their brothers. Have got kids. I was like, why is it so anti-family, man? And like, again, it's, and ig- were- it's ignorant because the fact is that you pick up on the lines that you connect with yeah, and yeah. you don't really hear the lines you don't connect with. Exactly, it's not yeah. like you're going to go, yeah, I'm I was like, really feeling like- it until that one line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not how music w- no, yeah. w- works And then some people days. meet you and they're like, and you tell them what it's about and they're like, oh, fuck, I had no idea it was about that. 100%, 100%. Because yeah. um, I reckon that most people just 
hear the whole song and don't sometimes don't even zone into the actual lyrics they like the sound of your voice i i completely agree and even if they're into the lyrics as said they'll be into chunks of it or there'll be a certain bit that really rings home with them Mm. and they'll be thinking about that all through the next verse but you and i 100 listening to that next verse. you and i probably listen to lyrics more than the average person yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. by virtue of what we do but I, get, I bet you there's songs that you've been listening to for 10, 20 years and you still lyrics pop up and you go, 100%. why have I never heard that? Yeah, 100%. Um, so so anyway, so the first thing getting out of this system was like, I'm going to, all the songs that I'm sat on, I'm not yeah. sat on hundreds of songs, but all the songs that I'm sat on and love that Sony, various people at Sony were like, nope, nope, nope. Yeah. You know, it's too grown up. Capital won't play it. You know, like, uh, like this song's, I had one song last year and the feedback was like, this is amazing, but I don't know what Spotify playlist it would sit on. Imagine being told your song's amazing. You're like, I know it's fucking amazing because I wouldn't have brought it and played to you because I can't believe I stumbled upon a song that's good because the last two years I was writing utter shit (laughs) and I was like depressed and fucking, you know what I mean? Even though I was having birth of my kid, I was depressed musically, creatively. Yeah. Um, And I'm like, and they're like, yeah, it's amazing. You're like, yeah, cool. We're going to get a single out. And they're like, but don't know what Spotify plays. So who fucking cares? Yeah. Spotify, yeah. like their algorithms changing constantly. They don't know what the next sound is. They just it's, like, it's the obsession, make, make, isn't make it? your song, which is undefinable. Cause it's like, because I sit between rap and dance and yeah. pop. And then my voice isn't like your high pits, sweet soul voice. Yeah. I have my own genre anyway. So yeah. whatever song I've got, I don't expect it to fit on every playlist. You and know again, I mean? the things that, that, that break through a breakthrough and, uh, we were discussing before we got going. F- for me, a, a thou shout and introduction are the two that had the most airplay, had the most video uh, watches and everything. What was that video like, I was in for you? Letter from God to Man. A letter from God to Man, yeah, I yeah, still get yeah, an occasional yeah, yeah. tweet, like once, yeah. twice a year. Yeah. Oh my God, just for example, in Again, Scooby's in that Pips time video. We had you in there, we had Docker's MC was in yeah. that one as well. Um, anyway, so yeah, it's not the stuff that you can necessarily predict and i know that sounds like i'm harking back to old times but stormzy's an example of yeah that. just a, like a new video every nowhere, two just, three months yeah and some of them are no choruses just yeah. him rapping and that's just like well, homemade that's videos because that's what people care about it's not labels seem to have this obsession previously with capital or radio one then it becomes a session with a Spotify playlist yeah. and that all makes sense because it's all quantifiable and yeah, you can yeah, say yeah. if you're on this you will be heard yeah. by this amount of people so i understand it because it's, it's damage limitation you can't predict what will just grab the people yeah, 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 yeah. rather than the playlist or the the bookers or whoever's in charge of the a-list yeah, at, yeah, yeah. Capital at that point what will just grab the people and get them excited and that's what makes a difference because yeah, that's yeah. what and i've got to be excited about it because if yeah. i'm excited about it 100 percent. then then i know that there's other people who are excited about it yeah and um uh, it's, it's the best thing knowing where I'm at now is whatever happens, yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that's I'm perfect. like you've got. I'm in the middle of like summer season, festival season. I've already done nine gigs this summer. I've got yeah. like eighteen more to go. Yeah, and I'm still getting booked, whether it's uh, off my back catalogue or people like my gigs. I yeah. don't really care. And now I'm about to drop new music on them. Yeah, and if this fails. You know what I mean? I'm shooting three, four videos, three, two videos this weekend. They're costing like three grand each. Yeah, yeah. Um, my mate's shooting them on an old mini DV camera. Amazing. Um, so they it. look like I'm, I'm throwing a boat party on Saturday. I've got 20 fans coming down who've recently got married. They're all dressing up in wedding dresses and suits. I love it. Um, for a song called Show Me How to Love. And it's just like, I'm doing exactly what I did 10 years ago. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Obviously, there's no, there's not pressing vinyls anymore and CDs. It's just straight on Spotify and and you know uh, Apple Music or whatever. But that's but what's the, exciting as well. The videos well. and the artwork, like the artwork. I did a photo shoot and then just got my phone out and then because I was inspired by Kanye's approach, even yeah. though like our last album was fucking weird. But yeah. his album cover, he shot the Rocky Mountains on yeah. his way to his listening party in Montana yeah, 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 yeah. and then just squiggled across it and that became the artwork. Yeah, because I'm like, that's genius. It's like. If everything is just eaten up now from a picture someone takes off Twitter and Instagram and then they put that in the paper the next day and it's low quality because it's come on social media, he's doing the exact opposite of what it should be, which is like you need a glossy photo shoot and then you need an illustrator designer to do your font and your text. And why can't I just have it in my phone and just use the Apple thing to squiggle the name of the album on it? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Exactly. I love that. And it's it's that approach that that will come across and connect with the fan base yeah, yeah. is they can tell that when you're excited about it. Cause yeah, you are yeah. like, again, I, I once or twice I've had people say, Oh, you plug in or whatever. This is a bit much at the moment. Or, or taboo is a prime example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I did that, I was like, I'm plugging it a lot. Cause I'm fucking excited. Cause I'm involved yeah. in something that I yeah. would have killed. Well, to a, be involved you're like, through. fucking hell. I'm on TV with Tom Hardy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. B, you're like, this is so my personality and my yeah, interest and yeah. like it's this so exactly quirky so, and mad and like and that's it it allows you to do that pr- promotion side of it yeah. which is key on social yeah. media and things like that. but if you've got that right excitement and energy yourself you, yeah, you're yeah. not sitting there thinking oh have I done too many posts today oh yeah, should yeah. I do oh, no, I should save I, that but I then can't you're going wait to post about this is great look at this I can't wait to post about this mixtape yeah. I'm going to be dropping clips of it yeah. all day on my social media because I yeah. fucking love it yeah and that's, that's awesome, what it's all about, man. man. So, so I'll round things up now. Where can people keep up to date with everything? So I said, this Mate. will be coming out a couple of weeks into August. So it'll be as yeah. you've started to, to put out the four videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're doing August the 3rd's first single. And that's then my week- birthday. Oh, nice. Thank you very much. Oh, good. And then a week later, <laughs> another song. week later, another song. And then yeah. a full mixtape. Yeah. Um, and then I've already got sort of like singles, which I've played you earlier as well, yeah. like lined up for later in the year, start of next year. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to make it up as I go along and just rea- be reactive. And yeah. and hearing those, I love this the singles that are all coming out in August because it feels, it it feels like example. It feels like yeah. the example that was these big hits and all that kind of thing. But what I liked about the stuff that's coming out next year as well is it it feels like a mix between the two. It's not going back to old yeah, example, yeah, yeah. and it shouldn't because oh, yeah. you're not him anymore. Exactly. So it shouldn't. But but it's got the 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 the, the best bits of that and the best bits of yeah, yeah, yeah. everything in between, and that's what's. I love the fact that there's these certain things that as much as you want to and as much as labels will want you to, you can't fast track it. Yeah, you yeah, need yeah. to exist and go through these journeys to go, here's what I am, here's my sound. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the first the first track on the album is actually called Sit Down Gary. Yeah. Um, nothing to do with Gary or sitting down. It's, yeah. it's, you've heard it with that sort of Bengali yeah, yeah, sample. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I thought when someone, the guy who produced it with me played it, that sample, I thought it was going, sit down, sit down, Gary. But... Um, that's exactly I what it, I assumed. I said the demo because the I saw the name and I'm like, I'm not hearing it. I was like, oh, is that the yeah, song in the background? to do with Gary. But the, <laughs> the best thing about starting the mixtape with that is it's the last track that we made. We, so the day before we delivered the uh, the mixtape, yeah. we recorded that the night before. Oh, wow. Uh, like, finished it at 3 a.m. And then I rushed over to DJ Zinc to get it mixed for me the next day. That's and dope. it made mastering. So it made the deadline. That is the approach to music. That's how it should be. Yeah. Not like, you you get it to the label, the major label, then they get it mixed and mastered, then they sit on it and then wait, and then three months later it comes out. Couldn't we we made more. this. So I thought the mixtape was done, and then we made it one night, yeah. finished it at 4 a.m., 
and then it, as the late addition to the album and it's the lead single it's the first track on the yeah. the album and then i said to on the mixtape and then my manager's like the working title of the demo sit down gary because even though the the chorus look is do you mind i'm out my mind yeah um and he's just like let's just call it sit down gary it's like it's clickbait isn't it it's like if you if you're on spotify even if you don't like example you don't know who example is if you see a song called sit down gary you've got to fucking click it and then at the end of the song you're like you didn't even mention gary yeah and the opening lyric to that song is i've made some bad decisions lately but girl i love the way you hate me yeah and Without sounding like a dick, it's probably the most example lyric ever. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. it's that it's, uh, it's up there. With, you know, never been afraid of the highest heights and shit yeah, like that. Yeah. And these are just lyrics that you just st- I stumble upon because I haven't overthought them. I'm having fun with it. Yeah. And it's like a big fuck fuck you. It's like a fuck you to the the major system. And I, nothing personal against them. They didn't yeah. know what to do with me. I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um. But you know, I love the. I've made some bad decisions lately. As the opening lyrics yeah, for the mixtape. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. It's probably a nice place to end as well. I love it. That's perfect. Well, thank you very much oh, good, for mate. your time. It's been a pleasure catching up. And I look forward to seeing the videos and all that is to come. Nice one, mate. Nice one, buddy. There we go. That was example. We we got into it there. We talked for a long while. I hope you were okay with the the stop for pizza, the break, <laughs> all the weirdness. But, but but yeah, it was great to catch up with Elliot. Um, as I said, I've known him a long time, and it's exciting. It's been exciting to watch his career develop and change and uh and evolve and it's wicked to see where he's at now and taking control of it himself and being the master of his own destiny um thank you for tuning in i said i'll be back next week with a guest that i'm not announcing yet we'll see it's it's a big one but i want to just drop it out of nowhere to make your jaws drop Obviously, you should be be checking out the Films to be Buried with podcast. It's blowing up. They've had over 100,000 downloads in the first month. It's on the Distraction Pieces Network. It's fantastic. Hardcore Listing is still killing it. Over half a million downloads. Off the beaten track is smashing it. As Say why to drugs. Stop and search. Choose Night Jaw will be back soon. And Choose Night Jaw is about to break the half a million downloads, Mark. So I'm excited for their return to push them over that line um yeah thank you for tuning in and uh, i'll see you all next week ta-ta